motherhood, and work. There isn't a right way or best way to juggle these, despite what you've heard or been told. No, really, there's not. Part-time work has been the best fit for me and my family, but it's tough to navigate any gray area of motherhood when you don't fit neatly in a box. My name is Tiana Fesh, and welcome to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast, where we are going to build conversation and community around swinging motherhood and work in a way that works best for us and our families. No matter your path, it's an adventure with highs, lows, and in-betweens. Let's explore together. Welcome to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so excited to be here with our guest today, Sarah Blanchard. Sarah helps communities build connections through conscious conversations, which she does as a podcaster, facilitator, TEDx speaker, writer, and consultant. Having worked at Goldman Sachs and having helped to teach positive psychology at Harvard, Sarah speaks the language of traditional accomplishment. But for over 10 years, Sarah has also pursued the science and techniques of well-being as a life coach, mother, and author of Flex Mum. In addition to emceeing events like the World Happiness Summit and facilitating meaningful panel discussions about race, Sarah co-founded and co-hosts the award-winning social justice podcast, Dear White Women, which eases listeners into uncomfortable conversations about race, racism, and how to be more anti-racist. Thank you so much for joining me, Sarah. I'm so excited we get to connect. So thanks for having me. And I have to say that I first learned about Sarah when I found her book, Flex Mom, at a local library and completely resonated with this third model of motherhood somewhere between being a stay-at-home mom and a working mom. In her book, Sarah describes the flex mom as a mom who is the primary caregiver for their children, but who is also deliberately creating a path that fuels their passions, leaving them fulfilled and confident. So Sarah, to start off, I would love to ask you about your own motherhood work juggle. What this looks like for what it looks like for you and how you've made this work for you and your family. Uh, Pre-COVID or (laughs) post-COVID? There is that too. (laughs) You know, I think, I think thinking broadly about my work-life balance, you know, the key for me was being the primary caregiver. And I realized pretty quickly that that wasn't just about being there on the timeline of when the kids are awake and need me before school, after school. My children are now at the stage where they're at school. So that is a very different conversation than when they were toddlers. So if we're talking about school age parenting, you know, yes, there is a timeline of like, if the kid gets sick, I'm the one who picks them up from school. Or if I need to be around for all the the you know after school driving around and that sort of stuff. But I also realized pretty quickly that it's about the energy that I save for them because one of the coolest things I actually heard in a webinar I was doing was this other woman pointed out that there's three things that moms do. One is the physical labor. And that's the stuff that we all talk about, right? Like the laundry, the cooking, the cleaning, the driving, like the visible stuff. But then there's also emotional labor. And then basically like, 
calendaring or logistical labor, like, oh, the play date, I need to arrange this and I need to get their wellness check scheduled. And, and so often those two things, the last two, the emotional and calendaring labor are invisible, but they are so draining. And so when I point, my husband's incredible uh, in terms of offering support and participating around the house and this sort of stuff. But he does largely the, we split like the physical labor. And so when I pointed out, look, I just spent the last 45 minutes calming a child down because they got a freaking math problem wrong and can't handle themselves anymore. Um, and, and that is exhausting for me then too. He realized that like, it, which is to his credit that I, he couldn't just count 50, 50% split on like the logistic, like the physical visible labor but started taking more of that on board with less resentment because I was showing him and he saw, thanks to COVID now, all the emotional and calendaring stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And so, you know, one of the things that have been a win is that when I'm at my office, like at my computer doing my passion and my projects and all this sort of stuff, I make a point of saying, right now I'm doing home stuff. Like it can be so easy for everybody watching from like the office window oh, mommy's on the computer. She's just doing her thing. But the reality is I spend so much time being like, I'm chasing up on the insurance stuff. I'm making sure you're, you know, you've, you've got your shoes that you've outgrown that I have to order. Like, so even just pointing it out has helped everybody appreciate that I'm still here, even though it looks like I'm at a computer. Um, and so splitting those three feels like it, it's an even better balance. It's a more well-rounded true picture of what I was doing and how I can best get the support that I need so I don't lose my mind. Yes. And I think I love the way that you've broken it down because it is, I think, more common, perhaps you can say that for moms to take on all those other things that in some ways might be sort of invisible or look, it might look like you're just sitting at your computer getting some work done or responding to an email, but there's so many pieces to the motherhood juggle that might not be top of mind. All those little things really add up and take up. I find a lot of space in my brain along with the just getting to them and getting them done. Oh, totally. My new best friend is this thing, which is like the sticky post-it notes that have the lines on them. So like I can, I mean, I'm all for the use of technology and these you know lists that you can create on your phone. But I think at the end of the day, I still need to have that satisfaction of crossing off my list or when I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot I had to do that thing, just writing it down. Because if it's not in front of me, to me, especially now during COVID, when I feel like there's like this overwhelm of so many different parts and so much input and so many worries and so many things, I'm like, I'm losing my memory. Like I can't I can't keep track of it. And I certainly don't want to let stuff fall through the cracks, but I also don't want to hold it all in my brain because then it feels heavier to me. Life feels heavier. And it's so funny as you're talking about the sticky notes, I look up the wall here in front of me and it's covered with them with all my lists. Cause I'm with you. I like to write it down and there's so much satisfaction that I get from then crossing it off. It just oh. feels great. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my sister-in-law, the Canadian sister-in-law was awesome because when my kids were little, I'm like, I can't wait to get my brain back and my memory back. And she just goes, she has children who are older. She was like, honey, no your memory will never come back. It's just called post-it notes. And I've basically run with that ever since because it does help, you know, whatever works for you or your family. I mean, it, it helps me for sure. 
Yeah, I think we all find our way. And it's, you know, my husband sometimes makes fun of me in a loving sort of way, but I really love my paper calendar. And he's at times come down to the fact that he like takes a photo of it because I'm working on getting better at putting all sort of those family logistical pieces into my phone calendar, which is a shared calendar, but I'm still a work in progress. So he laughs that he has to take a picture of the paper calendar to make sure he knows where everybody is and what's going on and where he needs to be. So yeah, I'm a work in progress. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we all are. I mean, I think there's this sense that if you if you think that you're not, you're going to think you have it all figured out. And then then the kids change. Then they're at the new stage of life or, or you know, a worldwide pandemic sets in or you, it's, you have to be willing to be adaptable for sure. Yes. Every day is a new, a new day and you never quite know what to expect. So how old are your children now? One is just in middle school and the other one is in upper elementary. Okay. Yes. And I definitely noticed a shift once our kids were school age. So ours are 14, 12, and nine. So we officially have a teenager. We've entered that stage, but so far so good. I won't complain. And I wanted to ask you as well, I think this conversation uh, really lends nicely into this next question, but I think it's so easy to sort of lose ourselves in motherhood. It's an incredibly huge life transition. It really, I think, causes us at times to maybe forget pieces of who we are, and it challenges our sense of identity. So I'm wondering your thoughts about what happens if we forget or don't embrace our humanity as mothers. So humanity is so critical. You know, I think And it might be different, you know, honestly, country by country, but I certainly know in the United States where I'm based, there's this huge pressure that we put on ourselves to be so many things for other people and to be so independent and put on this face of like strength and capacity. Like I I can do this. Like it's this sort of angry challenge sort of feeling. And what we forget when we do that is that we all, first of all, need other people. Like we are never actually doing any of this alone. At the very least, there's someone we're very fortunate that comes and like takes the trash from your home. There are people who, if you have an emergency, will answer the call and show up for you. The people pave the roads. Like there are so many people and systems in place that actually help us all the time that we don't actually realize unless we take a step back and appreciate it that make our lives possible. So I think when we forget about our humanity, we forget that we're all interconnected. We put so much more weight on ourselves to do it all. And then, especially as moms, you sort of sink into this sense of isolation. And if you're looking at beautiful pictures on Instagram or, you know, comparing your I made the worst Elmo cupcakes for my children when they were little. They were terrible, but my kid recognized that it was supposed to be Elmo. They did not look Pinterest worthy, but my child understood that it was Elmo. You know, like we realize we compare ourselves to these images and these aspirations that are of some ideal human being without remembering that that, that's not necessarily what we should be aiming for. We are all humans. We have a need for connection. We are allowed to rest. We, we deserve to be loved and love. Like all of these things are very human and I think can help. Uh, I, I keep doing this motion of like pulling, like it, it, you, you can reduce the tension in our lives if we are a little more gracious with ourselves. Yeah, no, I think giving ourselves grace and 
the comparison piece, it can just really eat at you. I mean, we're, we are our own worst critics, but then I find myself still sometimes falling into that trap of wondering what other people are going to think, or I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Or the way that I'm doing it doesn't level up to where it should be, or I'm letting somebody down. And it's so easy to get caught up in your, in your head and, and to think that you need to manage and sort of figure out everything all on your own. But there is that village behind us. And it is so important to remember that and then also to reach out and to ask for that help that you might need. Totally. One of the tricks that I came across, it was actually a, a, like based off of a book, but then I took it a few steps further. But I created what's called a good people list because I think when I am stuck you know, and it's human nature. When you feel yucky and are overwhelmed, our natural tendency is to hole up and sort of shrink within ourselves to go into sort of survival mode. And it's really easy to not ask for help, especially for a lot of sort of supercharged moms who still understand what it was like to have a career and then are trying to raise children and all this stuff. So I created this good people list. So at least I had a visual like representation going back to that post-it note and having something tangible of the people that I want to keep in touch with or the people that I know are really good, just solid human beings that make me feel good about myself, even on a bad day, who I can call. And and if I'm really needing help, I can just call and be like, oh my gosh, I need to vent. Or, you know, even just being like, I haven't talked to this person. I sort of have a you know, once a month rotation of like, I want to keep in touch with these people and be current because I think relationships are alive, right? I mean, there's certainly those friends that they're just soulmates, if you will. And you can go six months to a year without chatting with them ever. And you pick up right where you left off. For sure, there's that dynamic. But there's other people that you want to stay current with and you want to talk to more often. And just to have a reminder of who those people are that make you feel good can can help you feel less alone and also less likely to tumble down that rabbit hole when inevitably the children do something that gets in the way of some goal that you were trying to accomplish. It happens once in a while, right? (laughs) But I agree just being, putting that intentionality behind it. And I love that you've, you have that list because it's so easy to just get caught up in the day to day and the days fly by and the weeks fly by and those special people you haven't, made or found or created the time and the space to connect with them. And it is so important because I find that's one of the ways for me anyways, that really fills my cup. So it could be, you know, needing that support or bouncing ideas off of someone that we feel really comfortable with, but it just, I feel so much better after I've connected with those special, important people in my life. So having that list, I think is such a great idea. I really like that. And I wanted to ask you as well, How does that idea of humanity tie into the impact we can have on our kiddos when it comes to race and racism? Ooh, tricky. Yes. Um, So that's been my merger. I went from like uh, in terms of like how my interests have gone. Like I was very interested in humanity and how do we become happier as moms? And then, you know, in terms of the race conversation, one of my dearest, closest, best friends for decades is married to a black man in the United States. And it's a very, very heavy conversation that we were starting to have as we were both raising children and realizing that her children present differently than my white presenting children and the issues that come along with that and the fears and all of that. So 
I was like, well, how does human, how does this apply? Like, how do we have that morphing of conversations of humanity into race? And with the children, a lot of it has been teaching them that we're not all coming at life from one perspective. For my kiddos, there was one time when there was, I mean, one of them, you know, that puberty age, one of the other kids was smelly. And she came back and was just like, there's this kid in my class that has really bad body odor and he always wears the same clothes. And so-and-so was making fun of them. And so we stopped and we're just like, okay, thanks for sharing that. Like, what do you think might be going on? And we came up with a few different examples of or possible scenarios of what might be happening in that family that would have that child show up at school like that all the time. And it gave her an opportunity to consider and then feel like, oh, well, maybe she could defend him if there was more pushback at school. But also the more I train the kids to think about different narratives, the more that that applies to race and also can apply to their own story that they tell themselves about their own self-worth. You know, I got uh, whatever grade on, I got a bad grade, say. Well, does that mean in, intrinsically that you're now stupid? Or does it mean that maybe there was, you were really hungry? Does it mean that you weren't paying attention? Does it mean that you were goofing up? Like there's so many explanations that they don't have to internalize a message that therefore this means this and they're going to be really hard on themselves. So I think when it comes to teaching children about all of these conversations about humanity, it's really, I am sort of training my kiddos to see if they can understand that, that there are so many different human experiences in this world based on how you look, where you live, your skin color, your gender, your age, your money. Like there's just so many different experiences. And we as a society, because we work together, really want to help spread the love as opposed to the, the division, you know, and that's their job. Yeah. And I love how you are getting them to think about that narrative, right? Because I think there's always so much more to the story. And I I think our kids too are, especially with being exposed to all the things that are happening in the news and all the, the things that are happening in our world right now, they have questions. And I love that they're asking questions. And I think in thinking about them in terms of that story and what's kind of behind the action or what's behind what they see. And there's probably more going on than just what they see at the forefront and really encouraging them to build connections and foster connections and learn more about people and their stories and who they are and what they're all about. I think that's so important. I mean, I think that started for me personally when I realized you know, when, when you go part-time, right, when you go from a career to then choosing to stay at home or doing something else, I still so remember this story where this lady completely judged me because I decided not to justify my choice. I just sort of went, I raised, I'm, I'm home with my kids. This is truly when I had just started to stay at home with my children before I had figured out like, what else was I going to do on top of this? And she gave me this look and turned away like I was worth nothing. Like she was not interested in any of my backstory or all my life experiences or my thoughts. She just was like, oh, you're a stay-at-home mom and like left the conversation. And at that point, my rage picked up 
because I wasn't understood, I wasn't seen. And I think from that point onward, I realized in my whole parenting journey, in my personal journey, it was so important for me to not do that to somebody else, to not make them feel worthless, to make sure that they like that, that that's just something really important for me to see the humanity in somebody else, because I have been on the other side of it in just that moment based on my choices to raise my children. Yeah, it's, it's pretty shocking. And actually, that was a big motivation for me in starting this podcast was to have these conversations around motherhood and work and all the different ways that people navigate that and what the successes and challenges have been and some of the strategies moms have used to kind of navigate it along the way. Because it's tricky. You're trying to do the best that you can. You're well-intentioned. You're figuring so many things out. And people have some pretty hurtful comments um, said to them. And I, even for myself, so I teach part-time at a local university here. And I remember the first time I started teaching there, I felt so incredibly proud. It was completely filling my bucket. It was like a dream, jo- dream job, mentoring student teachers. And somebody at the university asked me what I was teaching. And when I shared, they sort of paused and said, and so what else are you doing? Like, it wasn't enough. Wow. Yeah. And I felt immediately defensive. You know, like I, I had to sort of explain myself and justify my decision. And I had felt so proud up until that moment. And then I sort of questioned and wondered, you know, am I doing enough? And it just makes, it really makes you go inwards and dig deep and it can be incredibly hurtful and hard um, because there is a lot to that story and we shouldn't be judging one another, uh, one another in that way. Uh, I wanted to ask you as well, what are some things we can think about or do to make a shift to make all of these uncomfortable situations more sustainable. I mean, I think at the end of the day, any of this comes back down to reflection of ourselves, like what our own stories are. Because as you were sharing that about you're having to justify, you know, your teaching and how you had been so proud, but then it crushes you. I mean, it reminded me of that same story when I, when I, when she judged me for being a stay at home mom, I felt so crushed. But if I fast forwarded a few years and that same situation happened and I was really confident in my choice and like truly was okay with all that I had going on and was in a happy place, I wouldn't have felt as crushed because I would have been like, that's your problem, not mine. And so I feel like going back to that part of like, you can never really master where you're at. Like you feel like, you know, we're always a work in progress. I feel like there is... um, something to be said about constantly learning about yourself and making sure you're taking a little bit of time to remember that your choices are made for this or what it's providing for you to make sure that you feel good about the fact that working at at that job allows you to have time to have a podcast, which is that, you know, just like explaining all of these conversations to so many other people who are in similar situations. You know, I feel like for, for me with this part-time work, some of it's like, or or all the projects, it's like, I feel personally like I could constantly be doing more. And I look at some of my friends who can operate on five hours of sleep and are getting so much done working at night or wake up at four in the morning and can get a workout in. And I just sit there and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be successful. Like it is so easy to that whole compare and despair idea. 
But I know for sure my body is wired to need sleep. It will break down if I don't get sleep. Um, I absolutely need to make time to exercise. So I can't forego that or else my brain and body break down. You know, there's so many things that I know I need and to be confident that that is enough. Like I am worth spending the time and energy to take care of myself so that I can show up, first of all, for the most important people in my life and then continue to do the work that I know will make a difference to other people longer term um, is how I see it. So I really focus on building that foundational level of like, who am I? What do I bring to the table? What are my values? What are my strengths? What are my needs? And how do then I build, like make sure all of those are met and then I add another layer and then I add another layer. But um, I think the same goes for race where you go, what's, have I thought about these conversations? What is my bias? What do I, like you have to be willing to look in and not judge harshly at first, you know? Like if you ever have a, all of us will probably, if you're really honest, look inside and be like, oh, I had that moment where I totally was triggered by race. And as opposed to, again, berating yourself for it, just like I would berate myself for needing eight hours of sleep versus my friend who only needs five, you know, it is what it is. And we have to know where we're starting from to be able to move forward. Yeah, I think taking that time for reflection and to to do that inward looking is so important. It can be tricky to do as a mom at times. Do you do you have a way or do you create space to be able to do that or or what are some strategies that have helped you to kind of do that inward look? Yeah, I mean, I do better at times than others. Um I think overall I, I do like the friends review usually once a year. I um I don't do the strengths or values all the time, but I think every few years we go through and we do those assessments and none of those take a ton of time. It's just like, you know, once every few years, you can take a strengths assessment online. You can do your values, just a review. I think what I do more regularly is I basically adapted what, um, have you heard of the book, The Artist's Way? I have not. Oh, it's a fantastic book. Um, And it's uh, Julia, Julia Cameron, I think. And it's this idea of for people who are creative and all of us are creative, there are times where you get stuck up against blocks. And in order to create the habit of of allowing our brains to create things and be creative, we need to get in the practice of creating things. And so part of what she recommends is this idea of morning pages. And that's waking up and first thing in the morning, you grab a notebook that you have dedicated for this purpose and you hand write three pages every morning without fail, even if you don't know what you're going to write. I love the idea. The practical application of that was there's no way I'm going to wake up and have time to write three handwritten pages before the children are like tapping, you know, on my forehead being like, come on, mommy, pay attention to me. So what I have done is I still have a notebook and I know that the standard of three handwritten pages, even if it's, I don't know what I need to write about. I know my trigger And that is if I'm feeling really unsettled or I can feel my brain, you know, when you're sort of spinning with all the things you need to do and you're like, I don't even know what to do right now. Um, Or I feel anxious. That's my trigger to sit down and prioritize. It doesn't have to be first thing in the morning, but it is when the first moment is that I have 15, 20 minutes to myself, that is the priority. And I sit there and I handwrite those pages because what it does is unlock your subconscious and it gets all of those things that you're not even sure you're worrying about out onto the paper. And I can then look at it and be like, oh, I forgot. I need to add that to my to-do list. And oh, I already did this. And oh, that's a brilliant idea for a social media post or whatever needs to come out. And it helps me start to get organized by tapping into like 
my body signals that like something is off. You need to listen to me. And it's better than to me um, venting to my husband because he doesn't <laughs> want to listen all the time. Yeah, I can, I can feel you on that one as well. Right? Because yeah. they said that um, in Positive Psych, they talk about the three main ways. There's one, one study that shows like the three main ways to process information. And it's like, you can sit there and think about it. But if you think about a problem or you think about feeling yucky, you're actually just going to downward spiral. And they've shown that versus writing or talking about it. So to me, writing feels like the safest, most sustainable option. When you talk about making it sustainable, it's like my personal private therapy, 20 minutes. <laughs> just like tap in, get it out of my system and analyze it better that way. Well, I, it's so nice to hear how you've taken that idea and adapted it in a way that works for you and just really created that intentionality about it. Because I think that's just it. Sometimes we look at these strategies or ideas um, that are encouraging us to look inward and it just feels so overwhelming, like writing three pages every day. But maybe, you know, as you said, that wasn't a fit. That wasn't realistic for you. So you like the idea and found a way to make it work for you and your reality and in a way that's really effective and helps you to work through all that busyness that you have in your mind and in your brain. And I have that from time to time. I'm sure many moms do as well. There's so many things in our heads. <laughs> and I also wanted to ask you about, and I do so appreciate how you've been so real about motherhood and work and all the things that you do. Uh, if you would be willing to share with us a mummy mess up, so some sort of a mistake or something you wished you had done differently or a learning opportunity that you've had as a mom? I think my mommy mess up and the things that I had wished I had learned earlier was that I am an introvert. At the end of the day, I think women, you know, the Myers-Briggs test where you have that, like a few of the metrics, I hadn't taken that until a few years into like motherhood, you know, probably five years into motherhood. And or, or at least hadn't remembered how much of an introvert I was. And when I retook that test, I realized how two things. One, as it was explained to me, I was right on the ambivert, like right in the cusp of like introvert, extrovert. But it was explained to me that society tends to pressure women to be extroverted. Because if you think about all the descriptors that go with like a quiet, reserved woman, they're not really... Um, lovely adjectives, right? That's like your cold, your worst names. Like, and so, and especially as like the family leader of the social circle, I had to be more extroverted. But at the end of the day, my true nature is to be like, I recharge better when I'm by myself. I need some alone time. And having not realized that early on, I really felt like I could power through motherhood. Like I really was just like, I got this. I'm with the kids. We're so happy. They're awesome. When kids are little, they are all over you, like literally physically all over you. And I got very little time to myself. And I think it drove me more crazy than it needed to be. If I had realized that earlier on, I wouldn't have felt guilty about doing like swaps where I send my kids to the neighbor's house or where I would have hired a babysitter for myself once a week just to have a minute to sit or go hiking or do something. And I really wish I had discovered that earlier because I think I would have been a different mom to the kids when they were little but they're not messed up permanently. They're fine. So <laughs> it turned out okay. <laughs> it turned out okay. But I did wish I had understood what my needs were as a, as a human being and as a person a little bit earlier on in the process. So how has that been for you with all things COVID? Because I know in our family, it's been a lot 
of togetherness a lot, which has been great. There's definitely been some positives with that, but I also need to recharge with some alone time as well. And I've been finding it a little trickier to find that. Sometimes I've gone for the odd long walk. <laughs> That's a very one. long walk by myself. <laughs> Those are always good. You know, I have created a little bit, this, we just fell into this routine, but the kids, because we've been on online school, their school day starts about an hour later than that used to in person. We'll see our kids, Kids are supposedly going back to school in person uh, later in October. And if that happens, this routine that I've discovered will get blown up again and I'll have to adapt. But lately I've been able to get up and have a cup of coffee sitting on the front porch and having a conversation with my husband before the children wake up. And we get a solid 45 minutes to just catch up, connect, talk, wake up, all of those things in fresh air. So that has been part of the routine. I also am very clear that when I work out, like that is sanity time for me. So I put on headphones and I'm exercising and I'm like, nope. Like it's like the hand, like the hand goes, they, inevitably, if it's my husband working out, they don't bother him. But like, if I'm working out, they still somehow show up right next to the machine. And I'm like, nah, go away um, as much as I can. And I think those have been the biggest things. Plus, my kids are at an age where they're a little bit more self-sufficient. So now that online school has at least started, we've built in. But I, I loosened the reins over the summer on a bit of tech time for them. I, I have a. I realize it's not my children's children being on technology. It's like my direct relationship with technology is a very angry one. <laughs> like, I don't like what it does to children. I don't want them to become these kids who are on tech for seven hours a day, just like playing Minecraft or whatever it is they're doing. But I also remember fondly playing like video games with my, my brothers when I was growing up. Like I know that I had some exposure. I also know that more than anything, I really needed them to not talk to me for an hour in the middle of the day. So I let them all summer. They had an hour of tech time and they like, I knew what they were doing. It was in a public setting. I knew they weren't going to be doing anything dangerous or creepy, but I decided that that was worth my sanity. And so they were, it was like, you know, the tech babysitter for me, the equivalent of the babysitter uh, now that they're, they're older, but I needed that. And so I made sure that I really came up with what felt right. And so the hour felt about right for me. And I think that's so good. Like we can have, you know, our thoughts and ideas and around, around things, but to be able to be flexible and also really think about our needs and what's going to help us to be the best person that we can be for our kids, right, as well, is so important. There's a little bit of Minecraft in our house as well, <laughs> as well as a game called Fortnite. I don't know. If oh, you're a Fortnite family. Yes. Oh, yeah. I've heard a lot about this. Hey, I know people who are on TikTok. Like there are people, kids are doing all sorts of stuff. And, you know, we can, we have to just be able to see what our comfort zone is with our kids' faces on technology with our, like, and, and we just do what's right for us. As long as they're not harming themselves or other people, the rest of it is all up to us and what, what boundaries we can sustainably hold without shooting ourselves in the foot. I think the worst thing my husband said once when the kids did something ridiculous and was worthy of punishment. He's like, no, tech time for the weekend. And I'm like, no, don't take that away. That was the worst thing you could have said, you know, because yeah. that shot me in the foot. So I, I, I think we just need to, when I, when I think about being conscious about it, you know, are, are we just think it through before you allow yourself and the children to commit to something that's going to be a habit for the longer term? 
And and you can always start slowly. Yeah. Well, and we've tried to kind of give our children some choice. So we, we like giving them choices with limits. So I know some families opt for no tech time during the week, but we opted, we said you can have two hours during the week but you can, you can choose how you sort of break that down. And then you need to work it out with one another as well. So maybe if they're wanting to play Fortnite, it's like an hour one day and an hour the other day. And then, you know, that's, that's the end of that. And so it involves some negotiation amongst the siblings because they like to play independently. And so they know that framework or that boundary, and then they have to figure that out for themselves. So kind of empowering them in that way seemed to take a lot of the conflict out of it right so they we made that one decision and then uh, they got to make the other so that was really helpful and then there's some nights and times where it's a little bit of a runaway once in a while but we still have to maintain our reputation as being the strictest technology parents (laughs) in the neighborhood (laughs) I mean once that reputation goes away you never know what will happen but no I love that idea too because you're also realizing that like we can teach our kids how to self-regulate if you give them a structure and they need to work within that to figure out a solution then then that's actually teaching them something that they can apply to life later on where they have to operate within a system and figure out how to get a project done or figure out you know, how to enjoy something in moderation. Yeah, just, yeah, it's, you know, the journey and we've sort of discussed it with our oldest too. Like, you know, if he has uh, a challenge at school, sort of supporting him and encourage him, coaching him through how he can advocate for himself in, in working through that challenging situation. And the goal I, I tell them is ultimately you need to be independent, you know, independently functioning adults out in the world on your own. So, you know, obviously come back for dinner whenever you'd like, but um, I need to give you that independence and those skills to kind of figure things out yourself. And I can't figure it it all out for you. I'll help you along the way, but it's a work in progress. And I wanted to finally, before we wrap things up, you've shared so many incredible words of wisdom. I'm so appreciative, but I was just wondering if you had any final thoughts or ideas to share with moms who are listening, who might be looking for some inspiration or support with their own mom work juggles. One of the things that I remember talking about that I've come to really love is that you know, traditionally we've seen balance as, you know, the seesaw model of balance. It's this straight line and, and, you know, home life you've got under control, but then work life goes down or work life is great, but your home life is going down. And I wondered how it would look if instead of being this straight line model of balance, we instead look at it as like a line that you draw around your priorities and the practice of holding those boundaries firm. Because then you're filling your bucket with the things that are important to you. And it's easier to say no to the other things that aren't in that priority list, but then you'll get those things that are really critical to you done well. Yeah, no, that is fantastic advice. Because it can be so hard to say no, but if you've got that framework and you've identified those priorities, if 
what you're being asked to do is something that doesn't align, it makes that no a little bit easier to say. That's for sure. Sarah, I want to thank you so very much for sharing your time and words of wisdom with us today. If our listeners want to learn more about you and the amazing work that you do, where are the best places to find you? Thank you for asking. Um, you can find, you know, most of my social media, my, my Sarah Blanchard author stuff has actually been redirected towards the podcast. I've been doing a lot of these conversations about race, um, racism, and how to be more anti-racist. And that's over at Dear White Women Podcast. And you can find all the social media. You can find the podcast everywhere you listen to shows. Um, there's also a project called Voices from Next Door that I'm working on, which is highlighting the voices of our Black neighbors who live in predominantly white areas to really bring the humanity, going back to that idea, of of different narratives to life. But as always, you know, my book Flex Mom and uh, all of that stuff, I'm around at Sarah Blanchard, S-A-R-A-B-L-A-N-C-H-A-R-D.com. And that's sort of my anchor point at this stage. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. It was wonderful to connect with you. Thank you so much for listening to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Part-Time Jungle and on my website, www.theparttimejungle.com. I would love if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time, where we will continue to explore the motherhood jungle together.